we're slightly above everybody else on the intellectual <laughs> scale, I think. Altitude sickness is no joke. Once it gets below zero, it's cold. There are a lot less sportsmen now than there were, say, 20 years ago. You're actually, you were used as a pawn okay. in our game to figure out what it was that we were doing wrong. You know, at that point, we didn't have one great tent. Like, we had one good tent and one not good tent. <laughs> yeah. Wind was just whipping. Uh, there was, like, snow BBs <laughs> just, like, pelting the face. <laughs> All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Outdoors Podcast. I am your host, AJ. And with me, joining me tonight is a guest that I'm really excited about, somebody that I have been getting to know over the last couple of years through social media and we've been kind of following and supporting each other's channels and talking a lot through all kinds of different media, Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and all kinds of different places. Uh, but Dan from DC Outdoors on YouTube and Instagram, everywhere else that you love him from. Uh, Dan, welcome to the show, man. Happy to have you. Me too, man. I'm super excited to be here today. This is going to be fun, man. This is going to be fun. And I want to kind of dig in because one of the things that, you know, I know that you and I have kind of experienced a little bit kind of independently of one another, but also in getting to be friends and know each other uh, is, you know, everybody kind of talks these days about social media being this really toxic place. And I have found, at least through my outdoors channel, maybe not necessarily my own personal normal channels, uh, but through kind of the ones that are based around my interest and my love and passion for the outdoors and meeting other people that have similar interests and can kind of you know teach me about things that they're passionate about, I've found this incredible group of friends through YouTube and through Instagram and these other channels that all of a sudden I'm like scheduling meetups with and we're trying to figure out ways to connect. And if I come up to Canada, I really want to be able to connect with you and hang out. Have you felt that same kind of experience or has it been toxic for you? What's it been like? Uh, well, like I think like, you know, social media world is just like real life where you certainly have to kind of ebb your way through kind of avoiding some of the toxicity that's out there. But, you know, speaking just entirely the outdoor community, no, I feel very much the same. Um, you know, you got a lot of like-minded people who are interested in the same kind of topics and, you know, for the most part, it's pretty focused on that kind of stuff. Right. So, um, it's crazy, man. Like you're absolutely right. You can build some really strong relationships with people, you know, just through the, the comments that they leave on your, you know, your, on your Instagram posts or, you know, the way that they respond to your, um, you know, your stories or whatever the case might be, man. So it's been really, really cool. Yeah. And I mean, at least for me, you know, I've only got so many hours in the day. I've got like a normal job and then, you know, my wife and I've got kind of responsibilities to different organizations that I'm involved in. And then kind of the time that's left over from after all of that stuff is what I get to do, you know, and spending time in the outdoors and curating gear and all that kind of stuff. Have you basically been able to, um, kind of live out some of the hobbies that maybe you don't necessarily have time to kind of fully dive into by following other channels. Like for me, I don't have a lot of access to ice fishing water mm. here in, you know, the Midwest part of the center of the country. There's not a ton of lakes in this area that just like really freeze over with the kind of freeze that you would need to go out and do that. You guys have tons of access to that kind of stuff. And I get to basically sit in my warm living room and watch you and your kids freeze on, you know, freezing cold waters and, and really cool lakes. Have you found that it kind of broadens your interest in topics that maybe you didn't think you'd explore before? 
Yeah, no, I definitely do. Especially when, you know, for me, I've been trying to uh, put out some form of a video once a week, right? And although I try to primarily do hunting or camping or, or fishing trips, I mean, there's certainly times where you're cooped up indoors and, you know, forcing the kids to eat an MRE meal that, you, you know, you, you dug out of the vault to kind of get something up that week, right? But generally speaking, I, I think the cool thing about this is you sort of see guys doing different things and, you're, and you, you kind of think like, hmm, you know, I want to try that. I want to give that a whirl or I can do that. Right. So I definitely think that from watching, you know, a lot of guys do different stuff, like even man, going back to some of your, your, um, OG hiking videos and your hammock videos. And like, you, you, it definitely kind of, you know, make, makes you want to get out there and do it now, especially when we're in these fringe months, like we're in right now, where it's, you know, like you said, we're freezing our butts out ice fishing, right. It definitely makes you want to get in there and try some new stuff. And, um, I love it for that kind of regard. Right. Yeah, yeah. And for, for the those of us, you know, in America that aren't as familiar with kind of the Canadian landscape, you know, give me a basic rundown of what part of Canada that you really kind of live and have spent the majority of your life. And then kind of what's the, you know, the, the circumference of area that you'll typically cover to go out and experience that wilderness and get into the, some of the crown land and some of the other kind of access that you guys have, which is really incredible. Uh, kind of give, you know, us Americans that may not be as familiar with the Canadian landscape, we're dumb and don't really look at anything beyond our own borders. Uh, so give, you know, the, the listeners out there that may be more from America, kind of the general rundown of where you're from. Sure, man. Sure. So uh, I'm from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Um, so, you know, I guess the, the gist of it is, you know, we're a, we're a West province. So we're, we're bordered um, to our West by the Rocky Mountains, right? So really, we're like a two hour drive, hour long drive to, to get to the mountains. Um, primarily where we kind of live is sort of like this mixed mod podge where the sort of like boreal forest kind of matches the, the prairies, right? So, you know, th there's really a lot close by. I mean, you can kind of go two hours in really any direction and kind of be, you know, dead set prairies, you know, mountains or deep in the bush, right? Just in a, in a two hour drive. So um, primarily one of the things that, you know, when I, when I first started the, my channel, I, I, I absolutely want to entertain people. I absolutely want to inspire people to get outside, right? And especially with having little kids, it's important for me to be able to take them out on little outdoor adventures where I can, you know, I don't have to sit in a car for six hours, right? I, I want to be able to load up the kids and kind of go, go 30, 40 minutes and be able to go ice fishing or stomp around the woods, right? And, uh, you know, we are pretty blessed to have some access to, you know, a lot of little sections of, of some crown land or, or sort of public access land close by. Or, you know, if you want to push it maybe an hour, hour and a half, you can absolutely just go and go and go, right? So yeah. um, pretty lucky in that regard for sure. That's awesome. And did you grow up doing a lot of the stuff that you do on your channel? Or is this stuff that you've kind of discovered in your adult years and are just like really diving into and kind of learning alongside your kids? Or is this something you got like a deep background in? Yeah, I've heard it coined as like adult onset outdoorsman. Now that's not me, man. Like I, uh, I grew up in a small town, you know, like 1600 people, uh, you know, relatively rural. So, you know, camping and fishing, hunting was something that I, that I did on the weekends with my dad. Right. Um, and, you know, as I kind of got older, I, I did what we all do and, you know, you start to kind of chase the party lifestyle and hanging out. And, you know, I got into, you know, music and, and, you know, you start to kind of, I phased out of that stuff. Right. And then, um, or, you know, still camped during that point. Right. But I didn't really fish or, or hunt that much. 
And then it was like a switch went on when we, when we had our first kid where I was like, I, I need to provide for my family. And, and, and I, I think that that's a dumb switch because at the end of the day, man, you, you more often don't provide for your family. Did, did you go yeah. down the bushcrafter route like hard when you first went down this road? Because when I got back into it and I don't want to cut you off because your answer is fantastic. But when I first got back, I did the exact same thing you did. I went to a grade school that was like really heavy in outdoor education. You do these like really extended kind of really immersive outdoor trips. And then girls happened and football happened in college and all these things. And then all of a sudden there was this float trip that kind of brought me back with a bunch of friends and totally made me reconnect and turn off the cell phone for a few days. And I've talked about it ad nauseum in, in episodes, so I won't go and bore people to death. Um, but when I first dove into the YouTube world, like bushcrafting was the thing. And I was going to buy a knife that was this big and I was going to get the heaviest backpack I could and go that route. And then I've kind of, you know, evolved into a different direction, but I really love a lot of those channels and I have a huge amount of respect for people that develop a lot of the skills that I know that you have in, you know, rabbit hunting and, and hair hunting and shed gathering, like all these kinds of skills. Did, did that kind of go that direction when you reignited or was that all, a lot of stuff that you already kind of knew? Um, you know, I, I definitely think it, it took off, right? Like, like certainly, um, the, the way that I do stuff is not the way that I was grown up or, or taught to do things. Right. So I've definitely evolved in my own style. And I, I certainly think that there were many of those sort of uh, channels that kind of shaped the stuff that I do today. And yeah. like I said earlier, right, it definitely has challenged me to try to do different stuff or kind of push myself out of my, my comfort zone or my shell. Right. Like growing up, we were more of like a, you know, I think we had a little 14 foot bowler trailer or tent trailer. And that was kind of, you know, that was sort of what we did. Right. So yeah. this evolution of me, you know, um, sleeping under tarps or spending 10 days in ice fishing tent while I'm, you know, out chasing deer or whatever that looks like is, is definitely, um, me pushing it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And now you do what I really kind of, I think matches a little bit of what Sarah and I have done over the years is like, you've got a camper trailer now that you take out on certain types of trips. You've got kind of other trips where you're staying in more of an ice fishing tent with some of you know nice heater amenities and things like that. And then you've also got trips where you're really roughing it. I mean, like literally sleeping on the ground under a tarp with like a super minimalist pack, really kind of using what you can get around you. Uh, what kind of motivates what type of trip you're going to be going out on? Or you just try to balance it kind of across the whole, uh, you know, swath of, of different opportunities? Yeah. Well, the, you know, like the, the, the trailer stuff is, is certainly to, you know, I'm not dragging my wife to, to sleep in an ice fishing tent, man. Like, I'm not even dragging her to sleep out, you know, in the Coleman tent, man. Fair, like, we're, fair. we're past those days. Um, so certainly, you know, the, the, the family trips are generally those, those sorts of trailer trips, which I totally appreciate. Love to plug in, love to have the power, love to have the water. Give me that yeah. for sure. But I also want to be able to push myself to just do something that like not anybody else would do. Like last weekend, AJ, I went out and I, I did an overnighter ice fishing which I've wanted to do for the longest time, you know, drag my sled, drag my tent, drag my cot, set up a tent yeah. at you know, six o'clock at night, sleep overnight on the ice while it's heaving and cracking. And um, it, it was awesome, but it's just something that, you know, I wanted to do it for me. Cause like I, it's a challenge. It's, it's personally something that is a little bit out there. And I, I kind of want to be able to tell people I did this and sort of just like see what they say 
Yeah, when, when I really put up a lot of my early backpacking and hammock camping videos, one of the things that I used to really look forward to, and I've got to say, I've been kind of spoiled by having the RV lately, but I, I need to like push back into that kind of, not danger zone, but out of comfort zone, uh, was I used to really take a lot of pride in finding myself capable of being uncomfortable or being comfortable when other people wouldn't be able to. The fact that I've slept outside in a hammock, which is basically like a pea pod in, you know, negative six degree weather, which in your world is like hop, skip and a jump wearing you know, <laughs> shorts while you're snow blowing in the morning. Uh, but for us, that's like, good God, are you an idiot being cold outside? So for the fact that I've spent a night out in that kind of weather, a is like a real point of pride for me. It's an interesting thing to talk about when the subject comes up. And then also I had a night at work when I was in New York City, things were going wrong. Uh, we, we'd basically lost 40 laptops for a student education event we were doing and, or FedEx lost them for us. And my boss essentially asked me like, hey, it's midnight in the middle of New York City. It's three degrees outside. We need to go out and run from building to building and try and find where these things got delivered. And I was like, dude, I've slept outside in negative six. This is nothing. Let's rumble. And like took off outside the door, you know, and just had a blast. And it's like one of the most memorable events that I've ever participated in because of that reason. So I think I, I totally agree with you that being able to push yourself beyond kind of the normal comfort zone and always be reaching for, do, you know, kind of new different types of challenges is, is really unique. So, mm -hmm. uh, when you think about how to get your kids involved, one of the things that I've heard a lot of folks talk about is kind of having an ejector handle for the kids, meaning don't try to push them a lot further than they want to go early on because they're essentially going to say, well, screw this. I don't ever want to go do this again versus like, well, look, I got to develop some grit and bear down. Have you found that to be true with your kids? Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, my boys are 10 and seven. Um, so they're, you know, just far enough where things that challenge one are impossible for the other. And, um, you know, I've been taking my boys out in the field since my older ones four, right. And so at the beginning, for sure, I would find that I would go out and try to do things and, and bring them along with me and get frustrated, right. When they weren't able to keep up. Um, you know, but what I learned over time is that, you know, there's trips where I can push them to a certain degree. And then there's trips where I go sleep in ice fishing tent on a lake and, and do that trip for me. Right. And I learned, you know, that, you know, one thing is I can't always do everything with both of them, so, which is yeah. a bummer to split up your kids and kind of do one with one and another trip with the other. Um, but like I said, you know, what's challenging to one could be boring for the other if it's not challenging enough, right? Right. Um, the other thing I learned, man, is I, I call my boys, you've probably seen the snack squad, team snacks. Like, because awesome. it's, you know, having that like granola bar, the, the candy bar, where it's just like, man, let's just walk to that next hill and then we're going to sit there and we're going to crush this candy bar, have a thermos of hot chocolate. That's nice. everything just to kind of incent them to just push that little bit further. So we always bring a lot of food, always keep them warm. And just like you said, um, you know, push them just enough where it is a challenge, builds a little bit of grit, right? But doesn't make them uncomfortable. And like I said earlier, man, having that sort of safety net of a 45 minute drive, it's important because you could bring your kids out just getting there, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things I heard you just say, you know, which I think is, is really interesting is that, you know, you, there are some trips that are just one son, some trips that are just another, you know, with, with the 
kind of self-imposed obligation that you commit yourself to, which so many of our your audience, your fans, people like me, uh, are grateful for, is you put out a ton of content. I know you've put out like 90-something videos since your channel started, which is an That's enormous crazy. amount of content. I mean, a video every week, I don't know how you do it. We've talked a little bit about this. You, you've kind of encouraged me to put out some more content. I don't know how you do what you do. Do you ever get to take trips that are just for you and don't have a camera involved? Do you get to go do things in the outdoors or do you pretty much have to document the vast majority of what you're doing just to kind of keep pace with the channel? Yeah, that's the truth, man. Like I, I really do. Cause like I, if I'm going out there, I'm, I'm going out there for me for sure, but uh, I am going out there with a camera in tow, right? So that, that's the truth. It does make it a little difficult. It makes it also difficult when you're going out with other people that might not really understand what you're trying to do. So when you plant that camera and then you walk away from it and they go back and grab the camera again and cobble that all together into a video, you know, to you and yeah. I, that seems normal. But to oh other my people, God, do we speak the same language? <laughs> Yeah. Um, and so I feel like I subject, um, you know, especially like my, my kids got an understanding of what's going on now. Um, I think it's, you know, it's a bit weird to some of those people around, but, um, yeah, to your earlier point, yeah, to put out a video a week, it definitely is, um, something where you're kind of like, um, you know, bringing the camera with you. I love when I can get a video or two ahead. Like I think right now, like I'm one ahead, which is awesome because I think it's going to get pretty cold this coming weekend. So this might just be like a hunker down and hang out indoors kind of weekend. So it's yeah. nice to have something in the hopper. Um, so those are kind of little learnings I've learned, but it can be a, a total bust too. When you have something planned, you get home, you got like six minutes of footage and there's not enough to tell any form of a story, right? Yeah. So, so let's kind of talk a little bit about that, right? Like what a kind of prompted you to want to start a YouTube channel or, you know, kind of a social media presence in the first place under this brand. And then, you know, what kind of um, drives you forward in continuing to want to kind of keep pace with that schedule and, you know, continue to inform? Is it is it the feedback that you're getting or are you just trying to build something that you can be really proud of? Like, what's your motivation in, in wanting to drive the channel? Well, it's, uh, you know, I, I think where it starts is like, you know, years ago, if I was to look back at my original Twitter bio, bio right, it would have probably said, Dan, father, husband, outdoorsman right? And that's still who I am today, but the rest of it just kind of evolved, right? And um, as I kind of went from there, I, I think at one point, you know, from watching YouTube, right? And watching some of these outdoor type videos, having, I, I'm pretty positive. It was my wife who said like, you could totally do this. Like, look what that guy's doing. Like, like you could totally do this. And that's you cool. got more charisma, like rock and roll, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So she certainly like encouraged me to, to actually get out there and, and, and do it. And it certainly is weird. Like it is definitely was weird uh, off the bat. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's a little bit more natural, like as it goes, but I mean, this is just who I am, right? Yeah. Um, and it brings me a lot of joy and it recharges me when, I, when I'm when i stressed. And, um, and honestly, it's what my boys like doing too. So it fits a lot of buckets, right? That's cool. When you first started, you know, watching channels, were there specific channels that really kind of influenced the types of stuff that you wanted to get into or the way that you wanted to film your channel, kind of your style, any of that kind of stuff? Were there any that like had a real big impact on you? Yeah, for sure. So like, I'm sure we've all watched uh, Joe Robinette, right? So for sure. I don't know if you're familiar with Joe. But... Yeah, of course. We all are. He's a celebrity. He's huge. <laughs> He's like the legend, right? Yeah, but, yeah. Like, but I, I think, you know, he probably inspired everyone. Les Stroud was another one. Yeah. Know, a Canadian guy who, who you know, kind of really carved out that niche. So I, I definitely think that those two guys, 
from from the other elements of it, like it's important for me to recognize it as a hunter, right? What I post on social media is going to be perceived in a certain light, right? And I am very I'm very sensitive towards that, right? Because I want to be able to present outdoor activities in a way that encourage people like to, you know, go out and try them and, and doesn't paint, you know, hunters and fishermen or outdoorsmen in a negative light. So yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, from the sense of that, I definitely do try to diverge from a lot of the traditional like hunting content that you might see on social media um, or on YouTube, right? So I, I certainly avoid, um, you know, certain shots or things like that, that could be perceived as distasteful. Um, not that I'm trying to like avoid them or, or paint hunting in what it is, because I mean, you're, you're definitely making a decision here. That's a very important decision and a very yeah. like real and gritty kind of decision. But it, you know, it doesn't mean that, that everybody wants to, you know, see that. Right. So there's yeah. certainly parts of it that I kind of like, um, you know, like I said, I'm sensitive to, but I love sharing things I cook in the kitchen. I love sharing the you know, finished product. I, I love sharing, you know, what that value is, because like I said, this, this is also a format for me to, you know, um, educate people and, and show people that hunters and campers and, and fishermen are good people who love the outdoors or are doing yeah. something good. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the things, being a marketing guy and someone that's spent the majority of my career kind of thinking about branding and, and how you kind of uh, garner attention and tell stories, it's kind of the genesis of why I started Outdoors Podcast was really just to be able to practice my storytelling skills for clients. And then it kind of evolved over time into something that I was really, really interested in maybe certain, you know, eventually turning into some kind of money-making brand. And, um, you know, when I first started out, I was I was really noticing that hunters spend, so, or at least what we see in the media, is such an inaccurate portrayal of how much time you spend in the outdoors, observing, curating, you know, maintaining and and fostering great environment for the resource that's there, and how very very little time is actually spent killing or harvesting an animal, right? Mm -hmm. It's an infinitesimally small amount. And my neighbor, who's been a really great uh, kind of mentor and a really great educator for me, Richie, he's also been on the podcast, um, has really kind of guided me through kind of with baby steps, uh, you know, what he goes out and does. And he's taken me out to, to uh, walk land and to kind of scout public land and to set up stands and to do things that, you know, you can do. And what are the different signs that you'd look for and all kinds of really great information. And he's offered to take me on bird hunts and, you know, he's let me borrow shotguns to go shoot trap with friends when I haven't had one. And he's just been really, really great in helping me understand how much time he spends running his dogs, mm -hmm. looking at land, scouting, all of these things. And it really put into perspective, like, oh man, you're just this unbelievably dedicated outdoorsman that every so very rarely and seldomly ends up harvesting an animal and putting for most people the same amount of food on the table as they would go purchase, right? And I understand from someone that doesn't eat any meat, the argument. I get that. For those that do eat meat, but still have an issue with hunting, that's a whole nother conversation. But I really appreciate, Dan, that you do kind of curate what you show and it's not about most oftentimes the harvest at all about the animal. And it's how you make sure you're responsible with that animal, what you've done with the resource and that you're making sure that it turns into something that's really, you know, incredible for your family. 
where did your love for cooking and for food come? Because man, it's a, it's a big part of your channel and it's something that my buddy Frank and I both really appreciate. I know a lot of your channel really love a lot of the cooking stuff and the MRE, uh, you know, kind of, uh, reviews that you do. Where did your passion for food and cooking come from? Well, let, let's also first just clarify that uh, MRE should barely be classified as food, <laughs> <laughs> right? And you're the one putting yourself through it, man. So that's on yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. But I appreciate it. I really enjoy those parts. Uh, that part of your channel, I think, is really clever. I think it was really smart. And I, I get a lot of entertainment out of it. But I mean, you know, going beyond that, you, you've done some really great recipes with some really kind of in-depth mm. cooking techniques. Where did that stuff come from? Yeah, you know, like, again, I, uh, I think that as we grow up, AJ, we kind of like, part of what we grow up, we do as we were told part of as we grow up, we do as we want to do differently because of how we grew up, right. And I, I wouldn't say like, I grew up in a in a hamburger helper kind of household. And you know, that's certainly on the, the menu many nights, and I'm not posting pictures of it. Um, but that being said, right, like I, I have come to appreciate that you know, that this is a, again, an animal that I harvest. I want to treat it well. I want to do it justice for when I, when I, um, cook it and it is like a treat, right? You know, if you, you know, I think the last year I harvest, let's say average deer gets you 50, 60 pounds, something like that in terms of like finished processed table ready. Yeah. Meat. You know, that's 50 meals, let's call it. Um, those meals got to be special, right? And uh, I've definitely butchered some stuff before that's just terrible and horrible. And you just kind of learn over time, like how you want to you want to treat this stuff. I remember um, I made a venison bone-in um, chop, right? Which sounds great, but not when it's harvested from a bush buck that's probably <laughs> seven years old and you just threw it on the barbecue, grilled it till it was incinerated, right? So you, you kind right. of just learn as you go on how to make this stuff. So um, it's fun to try new stuff too, right? It's fun to kind of scour around and kind of think outside the box and kind of come up with something a little bit different, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Are there preparations that you're kind of thinking about for down the road that you still haven't tried that, you know, you really kind of have in the barrel or are you kind of doing it more on a real time basis of like, Hey, I've got this thing. Let's go out and find a recipe and then we'll kind of move on from there. Yeah, more so like that for sure. I mean, there's, there's things that I've learned that are like, um, staples that I can kind of recycle. Like for example, um, I do a lot of butchering myself, like provided that it's during the hunting season and I have the time to actually process it. I don't just want to get back out in the field again. I enjoy the process of, of, you know, cutting and wrapping the meat ready. Um, for anybody that's done that before, or, you know, cooked even like this, uh, the cut of, of, uh, of, uh, of uh, any animal, like a shank, for example, absolutely brutal. Most hunters, you know, historically, I used to just bone that out. It would be so painful to try to turn it into hamburger. It would be terrible. I just learned over time that like this cut of meat, like if you just cook it slow, just falls apart. And we've just learned that you could use it in just so many different things like tacos or, or shred it and do pulled pork sandwiches, or, um, you know, we've thrown it in pasta or make like chili. And so there's, there's like these little kind of core things that you just kind of learn that you can use the same sort of method with different kind of ways of cooking and make so many different things, um, out of it. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I know you kind of enjoy gear in many of the same ways that I do. You kind of, uh, like to experiment with different setups and kind of try different things. 
what kind of informs your gear philosophy? Do you have kind of an approach when it comes to looking for and acquiring gear? Do you try to, you know, get a lot of stuff and then sell it off? What What's your kind of vibe when it comes to your gear acquisition? And are there kind of areas that you bucket it into? And then on top of that, what kind of are some of your favorite pieces that you've acquired over the years that you just, you know, are really proud of or have really been, you know, fond of? Lots sure. of questions there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I know that you love talking going. gear, right? So um, I guess my philosophy on gear. So I have a lot of hobbies, so I'll start there. So yeah. by, by being interested in um, camping and hunting and fishing and lots of different variations of those sorts of things, you know, cost is certainly like a, a measure that I absolutely consider, right? So I know in principle, you're probably better just to buy the good thing and, and, and do the right thing and put the money in something that's going to, you're going to enjoy forever and ever and love. Um, I, I just don't think that that's feasible for me always with knowing the different things that I, I do. So I definitely, I love playing around with different sorts of surplus gear because, you know, I find that you get some pretty good value on that. Um, there's some cool history associated with those kinds of pieces of gear as well, which, which, you know, appeals to me. Um, I buy a lot of things just used, right? So thank you, Facebook marketplace and somebody who's, you know, going through a divorce and their wife's selling it. Like, I love that stuff. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Let me, let me jump in on that. Right. So, um, I, you know, I'm definitely sensitive to those sorts of things, but if there's something that I, I want or whatever, you know, then, you know, make those concessions as you go. But man, the, the list of things I want to replace and upgrade is like never ending. Like I want to be able to get a hot tent, you know, sleeping in an ice fishing tent during hunting season was an experience. I want to get a nice hot tent, you know, yeah. I need to upgrade my ice fishing tent. You know, there's, there's certainly things that I, I want to do too. Right. Yeah. How, how difficult is it to prioritize? Because for me, I'm kind of in the same camp, right? Like I like to go backpacking. I like to go fly fishing. I'm into kind of another few number of different outdoor hobbies. We have an RV, which is a whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, but then there's also like the camera gear technology recording of podcasts kind of thing. There's lights in the room and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, how, what, what kind of, um, you know, technology do you typically use when you're out filming and how much are you playing with that stuff? Or do you tend to kind of find something that you like and then just drive it into the ground until it's dead and then go <laughs> fix it when it's done? Cause I've kind of lived in both of those camps. Yeah. Uh, so I'm curious. Yeah, that's the hobbies on top of a hobby thing, right? Because you're getting into these, like you said, filming or, you know, for me, there's like game processing and like all these other elements of hobbies on top of hobbies. But yeah, as you as you kind of talk filming, like I'm running pretty like lean, to be honest. Like I, again, bought a second hand. I think it's like a Canon, little Canon shot, you know, something. I don't cool. even know what it is. That's how much of a techno nerd I am on that. But it fits in my pocket. It's, the biggest challenge is it's older and the battery's just like in this kind of temperature, the battery just die so quickly right um so you know take some shots as well off my off my phone which does pretty good giving me some you know supplementary stuff if i need that but yeah definitely i, I want to upgrade and, and you know go the route of gopro I, I feel like that's kind of with what you what you got to do in this um you know with this kind of hobby so definitely want to upgrade some stuff there but again i'm not afraid to just you know wait around for the deal or I mean, this is a hobby for me right so i'm not yeah. gonna go all in on this stuff right yeah. If you saw all of a sudden, if something happened, I mean, I've seen 
channels that literally have one video go. So I have a friend uh, from my cybersecurity career and she has a channel uh, in the sailing world. Her and her husband eventually want to retire and, and live on a sailboat and kind of travel the, the, the world. And they did a video about how to fix a hole in the gel coat of your sailboat. And I'm not kidding you, Dan. I think they had like a few hundred subscribers, maybe a couple thousand if that. And this video got into the algorithm and it's got like 880,000 views. Wow. It got picked up for an infomercial. They've licensed it for the part of the product for the, the company that they, that they use in their, their video. <laughs> and, and literally they went to bed one night, like uploaded a video, went to bed one night. And like the next morning it was like 10,000 views. And then it just went like, and just took <laughs> off. And all of a sudden their channel, like they don't have hundreds of thousands of subscribers or anything, but like it, it's really made the reality of potentially having like a career out of this channel, a, a thing. If something were to happen and all of a sudden, or even just over the next four five, six years, your channel continues slowly grew. If it got to the point where it was big enough and that could sustain, you know, a, a living, is that something that you'd want to do professionally? Or is it something that you just kind of always view as something that you'll do kind of on the side and as a hobby? No, I think that that's the pie in the sky goal, right? Like at the end of the day, I, I would say that that would be awesome, man. For now, today, it would be nice to have you, you know, YouTube write me a check for a tank of gas. Like that would be <laughs> tank of gas, one tank a year, man. That would be great. So yeah, you know, we'll start with those slow, uh, you know, the slow burn goals. But um, yeah, I think that would be awesome if, if a guy could do what you love to do and spend time outdoors, take this camera along with you and put out some content that people are loving that much where it could be your bread and butter. I think that'd be awesome. Yeah. I mean, I had, uh, one of the videos on my channel, I won't, you know, kind of disclose which one it is just yet, but one of the videos on my channel, uh, is about a day at, you know, a, a park in Missouri and talked to, uh, some of the folks at that park. They said, Hey, we'd love to have you come down and shoot some content about the park. I said, yeah, I'd love to do that. And, you know, I said, hey, do you, do you got just being the sales guy I am, said, do you have any budget for a project like this? And they said, well, what did you have in mind? And I literally said, you know what? I don't want to pay for my own gas and I don't want to pay for my own food while I'm there. So if you guys can write me a check for like $200. I'm happy. <laughs> and they did like, it was somewhere in that range, maybe two, 250 bucks, but I didn't have to come out of pocket and, you know, fill my RV tank with gas. And I didn't have to, you know, come out of pocket to go out and buy some food for the people that were coming with me. And it just made the whole trip so much fun. Cause I was like, I'm a professional filmmaker. Uh, and it was such a cool thing. And like you said, like, you know, write me a check for a tank of gas. <laughs> I'm a happy guy. So I'm, I'm in that boat with you completely. <laughs> and I always really remind my friends, like celebrate the little victories, the, the one kind comment from mm -hmm. someone that says, Hey, this video was really cool. I really appreciated your take on this or your review of this. It helped me go make an informed buying decision. Those little tiny things go such a long way for me. I've just been mm -hmm. blown away by the kindness of so many people and the kind of support that I've gotten and this little network of friends that I've built. And I know you and Frank are now following each other and having fun and talking. 
And that to me is so exciting. But yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. It's like, I'm just having a ton of fun with it. If it builds into something uh, that could sustain and I could, you know, really just kind of get paid to go out and have fun and make great content for people uh, and, and show off really cool stories like that would be great. That would be a lot of fun. I'm kind of steering it in kind of the direction of just making sure I'm really good at telling stories and, and building, you know, that kind of content. Mm-hmm. When you go out to shoot and to do one of your outdoor kind of adventures, right? Mm-hmm. Uh do you have like a pretty clear idea in mind of what story you're trying to capture when you go out or are you just kind of filming sporadically and hoping that you'll have something when you get back? Because that's kind of the world I've lived in majority of my channel's career uh, for the last five or so years. And I've seen some people that go out with scripts. I've seen some people that like pretty have a pretty defined storyboard in their head of what they want to shoot. What's your style when you go out and, you know, kind of start your shooting for the, for the trip? Yeah. So I, I don't know, personally, like with this kind of stuff, I, I can't really make a script, right? Because you just really never know what's going to happen. I mean, yeah. you'd, you'd love that to be the day that you pack the camera around or you saw the biggest buck of your life or caught the biggest fish or, or whatever. But, you know, like you said, you spend more time not catching and more time not harvesting than you do otherwise, right? So um, for me anyways, you know, the first thing I plan around is the weather, right? So I'm looking yeah. ahead, I'm checking out the forecast. I'm, you know, I, I wouldn't say I'm a fair weather guy by any stretch, but I'm also, you know, I also know my limits, right? Um, so, you know, planning ahead a little bit, kind of getting a game plan about what activities I want to do. Um, is it something I can bring one of the boys along? Is it both boys? Is it just me hanging out? Um, you know, from there, I've kind of developed a little bit, well, I've developed a, a, I guess a script, like in terms of opening and closing off the video, I know where things are going to go. I'm trying to muck around a little with, with kind of figuring out like, what's, what's a good length, where am I losing people kind of looking at some of those analytics that YouTube can serve us you yeah. know, to make some, some informed decisions. But beyond that, you know, I, I, I really don't have much else in terms of plans, it's just kind of where the day, you know, where the day takes you. And, um, you know, sometimes that that's, you know, exciting. Sometimes it's not, but I, I feel like, you know, I've kind of developed a community that for some reason or not another continues to sort of watch and comment and, and support me, even if, if the video, you know, maybe isn't the most exciting in the world, but, um, it, it's kind of nice. Cause I, and I think though, that just as much as I look for those names in the comments, right. Cause you see those people that kind of comment in and out that have been with you a while. Yeah. I think that they look for the video. They look to see what Dan's doing. Right. So it's, Oh Yeah. Big time. Yeah, big time. I think, you know, one of the guys that I follow in fly fishing that I think a ton of people are following, I mean, I'm not unique in any way. He's probably the biggest channel in fly fishing right now is this guy, literally channel is called Huge Fly Fisherman. And it's this guy out of Colorado. He's got this kind of really dry wit and very sarcastic. And, but he's also like really informed as a fly angler and teaches a lot of really good stuff in a kind of a comical, fun way. And one of his big things is I upload a new video every Monday at midnight or whatever. And you just know on Monday morning when you're having your coffee, sitting in your kitchen, hanging out, you pop open your phone or your tablet and you're going to sit there and you're going to watch Ben's video and it's going to you know either entertain you or teach you something or probably both. Mm-hmm. And the, to be able to rely on that and to, to know like, hey, Dan's video is coming out. I'm going to go watch that this week. Looking forward to it. That regularity part, uh, there's a lot of people that I don't want to say are living vicariously through us, but in a way mm-hmm. they very much are because not everybody has the same kind of access. I mean, you're 
very lucky in the fact that within a couple hours in all directions, you've got different ecospheres and different landscapes that you can go to and a lot of access. I mean, if you live in the middle of Kansas, mm-hmm. you just don't have a lot of opportunity to go hit the mountains, to go hit beautiful rivers and things like that. So I think there's a lot of people that A, uh, don't have access to land, but also B, maybe their time or their families or whatever also limit their ability to just duck out and go live some of these adventures. And they just want to be able to kind of get a peek into what that life is like. Maybe they're, you know, trying to figure out which direction they want to go. Um, when it comes to those outdoor hobbies, are there any that have kind of eluded you that you wish you had more time or, you know, as we all wish more money to kind of dive deeper into that you haven't had a chance or are you kind of feeling really comfortable in kind of your, your window where you're at now? Yeah. Um, well, I'm, pr- I'm proud with the amount, like I've done a lot of ice fishing this year, which is awesome. And, you know, having the channel and kind of encouraging me to do it has been great. So that's been fun. Uh, get out and do a lot of hunting. I'm really excited. Like the fly fishing stuff that I've seen, you know, you and Frankie kind of do is definitely appealing to me. I think he actually bought me a message like, when are we going to get a fly rod in your hand? Right? <laughs> yeah, so dude. I, I think that that's one thing that kind of always appeals because it's always, you go out to these, especially here, we got a lot of trout, it's like stocked lakes, right? Where the um, Alberta government or kind of conservation groups will, you know, stock these, these ponds regularly. Yeah. I've seen right? your video on that. It was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's funny you go there and I'm the dude, you know, with, with the casting rod, you know, throwing power bait in the lake and then there's nothing wrong suave, with it. Suave dude rolls up in his hip waders and his little fly rod and he's just like out fishing you seven to one. Right. Yeah. There's something so cool about that. It is, you know, it's kind of a part of my story is Sarah and I started fishing on gear, spinning power bait, treble hooks, the whole thing with her dad, my, my stepfather now. And, um, stepfather, father-in-law, sorry about that. Still figuring out all the terminology, (laughs) uh, father-in-law. And, uh, you know, Doug took us to this great trout park. We're, we're heading back there in a few weeks to go fishing. You know, I've got a bunch of videos on Montauk state park. It's one of my favorite places in Missouri. And, um, you know, we started out there just standard gear fishing, the normal stuff. And, you know, we had a lot of success early on and then I don't know what happened, but for some reason, our luck maybe kind of started to kind of wane a little bit. And we were having a kind of a slow day on the water. And all of a sudden this fly fisherman, like you said, just suave dude comes down the water and he's coming down this river, just annihilating fish, just every other cast. It seems like he's just pulling this beautiful trout and he's flipping them off the hook without ever touching them. And he's got barbless hooks and everything. He's just so elegant. And I asked the guy, I was like, man, what is the deal? And he goes, well, let me be honest. I live about 12 feet up the road and I can pretty much tell you the name of every fish in this river. Uh, so there's 30 years of experience that's behind this rod. Hmm. However, there is an efficiency to fly fishing that is pretty cool because where a lot of people have to spin all the way back up to get your, your bait all the way to the tip of the rod, to use it to throw, you know, to adjust where you want your flies, just literally pick up, put down. And it can be a really efficient way to just move your, your bait from one place to another and to change what that that fly is doing in the water. There's all kinds of things. And I am by far still just an absolute worthless newbie when it comes to fly fishing <laughs> skills. I'll be the first person to admit that. And all my real fly fishing buddies will, will echo that sentiment. Uh, but the pursuit and the, the learning and, you know, kind of figuring it out as you go. And for me, it's a couple of things. 
A, I just love going out fishing with, with my buddies. I just have an absolute blast cruising down a little tiny stream or down a bigger river in a boat. Either way, we go explore these beautiful places that you wouldn't maybe otherwise get to explore, um, which is just really, really cool. And then the, the fact that it becomes a little bit of a game in the, you know, the, the pursuit of wild fish or stockfish, either one, still really fun. Um, and then thirdly, I mean, I just really enjoy going out with other guys that appreciate much like yourself, kind of the conservation side of it, right? Like what are we doing in addition to going out and exploring and maybe harvesting resources? What are we doing to try and conserve that resource? How are we trying to advance it and make sure that we're spreading good education practices to everybody else? that may not have access to the same resources. I've been really lucky, uh, and I want to kind of you know dovetail into this. Uh, I've been really lucky. I've got a great fly shop in St. Louis that have been really good mentors to me and kind of helped me along the way to get to where I'm at today. Uh, have you had you know mentors in your life outside of maybe your dad or in your direct family? Have you had other people outside of your you know, your life or your, your family that have been like really positive mentors in your pursuit of the conservation side of things? Um, yeah, to a degree. Um, so like, you know, for, for here, and I, again, I know that there's probably similarities with what you have, but here, you know, I, I mentioned that there, we have like the, um, Alberta Fishing Game Association, Alberta yeah. Conservation. And there's like little pockets in little different cities that, you know, that kind of have their little own conservation activities. So certainly there's a lot of, um, you know, there's one organization that I used to be fairly involved in and I've kind of faded away, uh, you know, may fade back into it. You never know. But a really good group of dudes, man, a group of old guys that kind of got started back in the 70s, been coffee buddies ever since. You know the crew, right? Good but dudes, they're, yeah. They're, they're building birdhouses and they're, you know, picking trash off these properties and um, doing all sorts of cool stuff, right? Just to kind of promote, um, you know, the good appreciation of the land, right? The one thing though, when you talk about mentorship, that's been really fun to me for me is actually being a mentor for others, right? Yeah. Um, I've been lucky enough to be able to, um, you know, mentor friends and, and um, relatives into getting into these outdoor activities um, as they kind of make that transition into an adult onset, you know, outdoorsman or however you frame it, right? So, um, I've had opportunities to go out with guys who've made their first deer harvest or kind of help them through that process. And it's really, really, really rewarding. And, you know, in fact, there's been years where I've kind of given that to, to support other people with their first harvest where I'm getting skunked, but I'm having the best time of my life having, you know, helping somebody else have a good time. Right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> Are there any, uh, kind of retailers in the area that you kind of really lean into and, you know, kind of really enjoy as far as your gear stuff and, or kind of learning about some of this stuff, or are you kind of mainly, you know, doing bigger box store stuff? You know, where do you get your, your expertise and your gear? Yeah, we're, we're, I don't know if it's just a, if it's a local thing or not, but it feels like this, this city is like a big box Mecca, right? Like you're gotcha. eating at, you're eating at fast food chains and, and shopping in big box stores. So we don't really have a whole lot of those little kind of gem places. Um, you know, there's a couple, you know, places around where you kind of start to get that feel, uh, where, you know, the guy who can kind of talk to you a little bit and he'll, he'll give you the hints of like, okay, you want to go fishing here. You're going to, you know, want to use this or try this setup. So they, they, they definitely like exist in little pockets, but I feel like a lot of the big box experience, you just don't get that. Gotcha. Right? 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. So what are some of your kind of bucket list trips or some of the things that are out there that are on the horizon that you, you know, kind of have to put future plans towards, or you would say like, Hey, if all the, the, the stars lined up and I could do this, this would be amazing. Uh, do you have any destinations or trips or parks or anything that, you know, you'd really love to do? Uh, well, we kind of keep tossing the back of our brain, like about, you know, taking the trailer down across the border, going into Montana or doing something like that. So I cool. think that would be really awesome. Like you even do as a family trip. Um, even if we didn't take the trailer down, I don't know how difficult it is to kind of take that kind of gear across the border. But even if we just did a cabin or something across stateside, I think that that would be a lot of fun. Um, I would love to go on like an extended hunting trip for like, um, you know, elk or something like that, that yeah. kind of puts you, you know, out, you know, living on your backpack and kind of experiencing something a little longer. Even when I did the ice fishing trip, um, last weekend, I thought to myself, like, that would be really cool to kind of string together, even like a multi-day trip like that, where I'm like fishing one spot, dragging all my shit, you know, to another little bay, trying to like, try to do something like that for a couple of yeah. days would be kind of fun just on foot, you know? Um, yeah. I don't, um, I, I'm, I'm self-propelled, right? I'm, like, I'm not rolling with a quad. I'm not rolling with an ATV. So yeah. I really love the idea of packing in your stuff on your back or dragging it behind you in a sled. Like I like that kind of, um, you know, manual horsepower kind of trip that really appeals to me. Yeah. I think, you know, for a while I've really kind of been leaning into the RV thing and we, you know, we drag our Jeep around and so we can pretty much get most of the places that we'd want to go. We probably push our RV further than <laughs> we should back into some of the gravel roads and ruddy ditches and places that we go. But so far the old girl has taken really, really good care of us and not created any major catastrophes. So keep your fingers crossed. Mm -hmm. Old Doris takes us all the way across the country. I think we were doing our mileage check the other day and we were somewhere around like seven seventy five hundred miles for this trip that we've got coming up we're going to go through like 11 states across the western united states and curly queue up through montana and down into wyoming and across idaho and you know the coast of oregon and all this kind of fun stuff um and i have kind of lost my um I don't want to say I've lost my passion because I really want to do it. But for some reason, I just haven't been prioritizing time towards backpacking and just mm. the slow kind of methodical covering of miles on foot. And one of the things that I just really have a great appreciation for in the bigger backpacking trips, some of the stuff that Sarah and I have done out in Colorado or in California at Yosemite National Park um, is you don't really realize how far your own feet can take you until you do it. And then all of a sudden you look back over 10 miles and some pretty serious landscape or some pretty serious terrain and you go like, oh my God, I started way over there earlier this morning. And somehow over all those ravines and, and, you know, it kind of, you just forget that you covered all that ground as you're just one foot in front of the other. Uh, I'm really, really guilty about, and I, I it's heard some really interesting perspective the other day from a guy that guides in, um. I want to say Yellowstone National Park in Wyoming, um, and he does horse horse uh, trips and in, into the back country, and then they set up these really pretty camps, and you can fly fish for days and blah blah blah. Mm. And he said the cool part about going on a horse is that a lot of times when you're hiking, you got to look at what you're you're stepping on, mm -hmm. and so you don't really get to see what you're walking through because most of the time you're kind of looking pretty much down. Right. And he goes, when you're on a horse, they get to look at the ground and you get to look around. And I was mm. like, oh, that's kind of a cool perspective. I never really thought about it that way. Uh, they'll they'll 
get you where you need to go. They're walking in the line. You, you know, as long as you don't make any major mistakes, they'll get you there. And you just get to really appreciate all the landscape that that goes around you. And I'm I don't know about you, Dan. And let's talk about this a little bit. When you're out hiking, backpacking, if you're by yourself, mm-hmm. are you the kind of guy that will just kind of plug away and cover miles? Do you do you stop and kind of smell the roses on a fairly regular basis? Do you take breaks fairly regularly? Because I'm guilty mm-hmm. of just plowing through miles and all of a sudden I'm at camp and that's cool, but I barely remember the day that I just went through. And the whole point is to go out and be in these landscapes and see what you're going through. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how does that work for you when you're on kind of your longer hikes if you're by yourself without your kids? Uh, yeah. What's your style? I'd say it's the same as you, man. I think you said it pretty well. I, I'm hoofing it, right? Like I, I'm trying to go from point A to point B. Even like the thing that slows me down is when I'm like, holy shit, like I'm sweating up a storm. Like I need to, I need yes. to shut down, right? And then it's kind of like the mental reminder of like, I actually need to slow down, right? So um, yeah, I see where you're coming from, but you know, you, you kind of make it about, you know, the destination rather than the journey, right? And I think though that, you know, I also like getting to camp, getting set up, getting everything kind of good to go, and then kind of nosing around and kind of having that sort of moment once you, you know, once you are set up. But um, I wonder if that also means that, you know, when you're driving the bus, is Sarah soaking up the landscape and, and vice versa when you're switching seats? Like, I wonder if that's also an experience when you're driving. So there is no switching seats. Uh, Sarah has never driven the bus one mile. Uh, and that's all right. Our bus is kind of a big, terrifying, scary Mm -hmm. thing to drive. Uh, it's 30 years old and it's, I don't want to say it's underpowered. I mean, it's a V8 gas motor for a 30 foot long, 14,000 ish pound bus. Um, so it blows around a lot. And it, if you've got a semi on either side of you, it can be a little nerve wracking. So, I mean, it's, it is what it is. Um, she at this point has not been comfortable driving it and I'm totally cool with that. We go in spurts that are, you know, manageable for me. I don't think I've ever gone more than maybe like six hours in a day while driving it. Um, but you know, it's, uh, The beautiful part about driving a class A is you have this enormous window out in front of you. And so I get this huge view of the mountains or wherever we're going. And I I really get to appreciate it. It's really fantastic. And in fact, I kind of feel bad for Sarah because a lot of times that we are driving through the mountains, we drive disconnected. We don't actually have the Jeep Uh connected because our bus is not exactly perfect at pulling through mountains. Um, and she's driving, you know, 30, 40 yards behind me, kind of making sure that nobody's going to come slamming into the back of me. Cause I'm going 30 miles an hour up a hill. And, uh, she's got, you know, this little view of the Jeep windshield yeah. and then the back of a bus. And I got this enormous <laughs> giant, you know, landscape out in front of me. So a lot of times I do kind of feel guilty. Cause I think in a lot of the instances when I'm driving, I'm actually getting to see more, <laughs> Um, when you're hiking, you know, it's funny, I saw a YouTube video and it was this, this, um, woman and her husband who were traveling in a 13 foot scamp. They live full time in a 13 foot scamp travel trailer. I think they had maybe one or two dogs and the girl, uh, the woman went on, uh, her first backpacking trip. And I think her first backpacking trip was like 40 miles, three days, two nights. Hmm. It's a lot of miles for your first trip. Like never had a heavy pack on her back. And the guy that sold her her pack or something gave her kind of some advice. And I was like, man, I wish I could take that advice. And he said, your first mile on your backpacking trip of your day 
you should walk so slowly that someone behind you should like have a hard time not running into you. You should just walk so unbelievably slowly and just let like your ankles and your knees and everything kind of roll around a little bit and move and kind of start to get it. And then he goes, after that first mile, you should stop for 10 minutes, take a break, take your shoes off, take your socks off and just let you, let everything air out for 10 minutes, sit down. And then he goes for five minutes every hour, you should be taking your backpack off and sitting down and taking a break. And I was sitting there thinking, man, on a 10 mile trip, like that's going to be a lot of breaks, but <laughs> I should probably be doing something more like that than just plowing through yeah. miles. Like I should be taking some more breaks. And I think it's part of what, you know, you left a comment on one of my YouTube videos about how, you know, I must've been sore for days after a 30 mile hiking trip. And I was, I was sore for like a week. Uh, and it was simply because I wasn't taking enough breaks and I wasn't hydrating well enough and just wasn't taking care of myself. Mm -hmm. Are you pretty good about taking care of yourself on the trail as far as like water and snacks and things, or do you just kind of tend to go from point A to point B, like you talked about, and then get there and realize, oh my God, I've only had a quarter of a liter of water throughout yeah, the day. Yeah, I feel like I'm leaning that way, right? Like I, I need to drink a lot of water. Like I'm a sweaty human being, AJ. Once I'm booking it, like this dude I'm the is same. tripping, right? So yeah, water is, is different. But I, 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 it's so funny, hey, like when you stop and actually think, like there's many reasons to actually stop and smell the roses, right? Like the physical wear and tear to your body, probably take, you know, taking that pack off and letting your spine like – you know, stretch back out for a second or two. It's probably yeah. a good thing to do, right? And, you know, in addition to that, if you're able to actually kind of like look around and enjoy the space you are, like, I, I think that that's actually pretty, um, you know, pretty wise of you to call that out. Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, I just, I know that for a long time, uh, when I started backpacking again, kind of after the float trip, I got really into it. And, I was really trying to just get through as many trips as I possibly could. And it was really like you said about getting to camp, setting up, having my hammock, being comfortable, making a nice dinner, you know, laying there in the hammock, having a really nice, comfortable, warm meal, and just then sitting back and enjoying, you know, being in the outdoors. But that gave me such kind of a limited view of that area that I just traveled through. And I was really only experiencing a kind of a small part of it other than this, just like straight head down, you know, foot one foot after the other hike. Uh, and I've been trying and it, um, it, I do really appreciate this about my wife is my wife shorter than me. She's not as gritty of a backpacker hiker as I am. And so by having her kind of lead, on most of our trips, I can kind of operate at a pace that's a lot more realistic for kind of some of the longer miles, but still doing it over a shorter distance. So mm -hmm. that's worked out pretty well for us. Nice. Are there uh, any destinations in Canada that you really haven't been to that you would really like to visit outside of kind of your immediate vicinity that you'd really love to see outside of, you know, kind of what we talked about before? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I, I, for work once I was in like Northern Ontario, um, absolutely beautiful. Like, I think that that's just such a sportsman's, you know, place to explore. Um, the East coast really appeals to me. I've never been out there. So you need to talk about like, um, PEI or, or Newfoundland or something like that. Like, I, I think that that would be cool to kind of explore, like, you know, the sense of, of fishing and, you know, even big moose out in, you know, out in Newfoundland and Labrador. Labrador is supposed to have some oh, really crazy fishing. 
right? So I think checking out places like that would be really cool. I mean, the sad thing really about traveling Canada is like, it's not really accessible. Like the, the amount that it costs you to get from, you know, my side of the country out to that side of the country is just so preventative of, of being able to go out in there and, and explore it, which sad to say out loud, but you know, it's, it's easier for me to hop on a plane and go, you know, for a week to Mexico than it would be for me to explore something within this country. Right. Wild. Yeah, That's interesting. I did not yeah. know that. That's really yeah. interesting. Yeah, it is crazy. Um, we did a turkey hunt a few years ago in British Columbia, which was really cool. I'd love to explore, um, you know, more of, uh, I mean, we didn't see a turkey or even hear a turkey or, or anything, um, <laughs> but it was really awesome experience. Um, so, you know, I think that there would be a lot to explore out that way, but th those would be a few places, I suppose, in the country that would be cool to check out. That's awesome. That's awesome. And are there any things that, you know, we'll kind of wind down with this and then we'll kind of conclude with, you know, letting everybody know how to find you. But for your kids, are there any activities that they've kind of hinted at that they're looking forward to kind of learning or exploring that you guys haven't delved into yet that you're kind of starting to do your research and figure out how to go down those angles? Or are they just kind of along for the ride with you and just loving all the stuff that you're teaching them? Yeah, I'd say it's that, right? I mean, there's those age milestones, right? Like my older son, um, you know, he he turned 10 in October. So this was the first year where he was able to go out grouse hunting. So that was a pretty big milestone for him to be able to, you know, go out with me. And, you know, I took him on an overnighter that was kind of a bit of a dud, but we still, you know, went out there and explored and got him out there on some birds, which was fun. So I'm looking forward to that. And, you know, when I fast forward a year or two soon, he'll be old enough to, to go and, and hunt big game, right? So there's uh, a lot there that's exciting. Um, and with my little guy, right, it's just a matter of just taking him and exploring all the things that I got to explore with the older one again, right? Yeah. So that's kind of cool too, right? Yeah, that's really, really cool. Dan, I want to be cognizant of the time. I know you've got family commitments and all kinds of stuff tonight. So before we get off, uh, tell everybody how they can find your channel and where all you are sharing content. Oh my God, this is like the million dollar question and whatever is everything named as. Um, so I, uh, I am, oh my God, AJ, help me out. All um, good. I am DC underscore underscore outdoors on Instagram. Um, I'm DC outdoors on um, YouTube. And then over on Twitter, I'm at DC one three eight five. Oh my God! Skill testing questions. I think I got to unify these things a little bit. But the the nice thing is I branded everything consistently. So if you find me on one, you'll be able to link to the other, and and so yeah, be able to yeah, you do a nice job. And I'll tell you, you are really consistent and thorough with making sure that everybody has all the information that they need, and kind of reminding people to subscribe and all that stuff that I do an absolutely miserable job at. And I think it's probably why your channel is growing a lot faster than mine is. So I applaud you, man, for all the consistency. I know it's an enormous amount of work that you put into putting forward such a great channel. I know so many of us look forward to all of your videos and all the content that you put out. You're prolific on Twitter. Super fun to watch you there. I don't know how you put out as much content as you do while being such a great dad. Uh, that's so obvious that you are from a distance that we get to see it. So I really appreciate the time. I look forward to a lot more of these episodes in the future. And let's not wait until we do another one to hang out and talk like this, because this yeah. was a ton of fun and we could get more people involved and just have an absolute blast. So let's do more of this. I love it. That's awesome, man. Thanks for having me. You're the best. Hold on one second.
All right. So that is the podcast. What we're going to do.